bunch of uh, different books and online resources to uh, prepare my sermons. And one particular I use actually follows the lectionary calendar. And it's funny that in preparation for this passage, I didn't pick the one lined up for today. So it's a rotating calendar, and so this year for that passage, they're focusing on the Matthew passage, and three years ago, they were focusing on the St. Saint, the Saint Peter passage, but I found it funny that even though it was three years ago, the same thing happens around the same time, and what it was talking about for 2014 uh, is about to happen on the same Sunday in 2017, and that's the Oscars. Uh, everybody's talking about how the Oscars may be the most uh, politically charged Oscars to date. But what I wanted to focus on when I brought up the Oscars is about staying power. You have some people that win Oscars, Academy Awards, if you will, um, and that propels their career to new heights. Uh, their fee goes up if you want them to be in the movie. They're picky about what kind of movies they're going to be in from here on out. And, and, and then there are others that'll win Oscars and you'll see them doing kids' comedies and different things, kind of just picking up bad B-rate movies. And so it's about the staying power. And I think about that when I look at Second Peter and the author is writing and he's talking about the staying power of Jesus. Uh, verse 16, he says in the New International Version, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. See, Jesus came. Jesus healed the sick, raised the dead, opened the blinded eyes, declared the acceptable year of the Lord, set the captives free, walked on waters, filled the multitude with two fish and five loaves of bread. He did all of these things. Then he was crucified dead and buried and rose from the dead. And you would think after all of that, that would have been enough to prove to people what was going on. You would have thought that that would have been enough, but there were still doubters. He's not the Messiah. He didn't really come. Even today, there are those that say he doesn't exist, which I don't quite understand. 
can deal with somebody arguing about the divinity of Jesus. I can deal with people saying that he wasn't the savior. I can meet you on the ground. But the, 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 the latest thing that I have trouble dealing with is the folks that say that there was no Jesus. Even historians tell you that there was a man named Yeshua ben Joseph, which is what Jesus would have been in Hebrew because there's no J in the Hebrew language. But Yeshua ben Joseph, which means Yeshua's son of Joseph, was crucified in the Roman court. There is at least that fact. So if you don't believe anything else, if you don't believe that he healed the sick, if you don't believe he opened up blinded eyes, if you don't believe he walked on water, he at least existed. But we've gotten so modern in our technology and conveniences and then we try to apply this sort of redactive criticism, this literary criticism, this text criticism to the gospel and to the Bible and we expect it to be written with the same sort of criticism and the same sort of painstaking effort with footnotes and everything as if it was written today. But nobody was writing like that now. Well, I don't know if it would, we would expect these days the same uh, scrutiny now that I think about it because we are in the era of alternative facts. Amen. But here it is. Uh, 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 you've got somebody that is doubting. And even then, people who walked and talked with the man, people who saw him, people who lived in some of these cities where he was doing these things, don't believe. And so that's why you have this letter called Second Peter, because he is defending the gospel almost as soon as the gospel story is started. Ah, and I like the, the, uh, 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 the NIV version says, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories. Um, some translations say cunningly devised fables. Some, con- some translations say myth. I like the message Bible personally because it says we want we want you to know that we weren't just wishing on a star. Yeah. All right. yeah. He's here to tell you that this person, it, 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 this person came. This person did all of these things and the, the event that Peter's specifically talking about when he has this this part of the text is he's talking about the transfiguration. Jesus taking Peter, James, and John up onto the mountain. They seeing uh, Moses and Elijah. That's important to the Hebrew people because those are the people whose words and actions had shaped the Hebrew faith. And so there were some people who wouldn't have believed Jesus was the Messiah unless they got the stamp of approval from one of the previous prophets. And so God is saying when he has these times and when he's going on the Mount of Transfiguration and you need approval from one of the previous prophets, I'll give you two. And not only am I going to give you two, I'm going to give you the two best possible prophets and then say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, whom I love and am well pleased. And so they're saying, Jesus didn't go on no mountain of transfiguration. Moses and Elijah wasn't up there. God didn't say, God didn't come down himself and say, this is my son. Uh, But that's why you have Peter, James, and John, because in those times, you needed more than one witness for anything to be considered credible. Uh, And so the thrust of the text is directed against those opponents uh, uh, that are resisting the truth of Jesus, that Jesus came. And not only did Jesus come, Jesus is coming again. Amen. Big old $5 word called parousia, which is normally used 
uh, during those times in the ancient Greek was used to describe a dignitary coming and meeting out judgment or handing out rewards. And so they were saying, here we have the biggest dignitary that we can find, Jesus. The one with the biggest amount of judgment or reward to pass out. Death, hell, and the grave for judgment. Heaven for reward. And so there are those who are talking when he talks about the Lord Jesus coming in power. He's saying, here we got the biggest dignitary you can find. And he's coming again. So you need to prepare yourself. Preparation is key. I'm reminded of when I was in Indianapolis and at that time the president uh, was going to come to the city. He didn't just come to the city on a whim. He didn't catch a red eye. He didn't hop on somebody's buddy pass. They didn't do any of that. You had to prepare for the president to come to your city. And what that meant was whichever hospital was the best at uh, responding to gunshot wounds and trauma, their chief surgeon could no longer leave that building until the president was on Air Force One and off. They had to stay there. I remember specifically they going around and sealing all the manhole covers shut for the path that he could take in the background, the, the back paths that he could take. They were sealing everything shut. I remember them pulling up all the mailboxes. I know some of us don't use mailboxes anymore, but the, 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 the mailboxes were all taken up so that nobody could plant a bomb in it. They had to prepare for the coming of this dignitary. And so when they talk about this, this coming in power, they're telling us we need to prepare. Uh, there are some things we need to seal down so that nothing can get out of. There are some things that we need to move out of our way. There are some people we need to move out of our way. Is this, is this thing working? There are some things that we have to get out of our lives in preparation for the coming of the soon coming king because he's coming back again and it is not a fairy tale. And so he's coming to, 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 to render some form of judgment. And they talk about this, this coming again in Matthew 24 and 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians all over in chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5. Talking about his coming. But he's developing a new, the, 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 the author is developing a new, te- uh, the, a new technical term of the word. And it's aimed at providing two pieces of evidence that are out here to go against the people that, are, that don't believe this happened. And he says that he came in power. The Lord Jesus came in power, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Uh, that's all you needed then in order to prove something was witnesses. I know now we need a little bit more, but the witness is the most important thing. The police always prefer a confession over trying to convict them based on evidence. Because if you try to convict them based on evidence, the evidence isn't always collected properly. The evidence might not be stored properly. It might get stored in a warehouse that gets flooded out. You might have somebody that might be looking to plant something on somebody. But when you get somebody to say, I did it. Or you get enough other people to say, He did it. 
uh, I'm reminded of a, 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 a murderer that was on a train and started killing some of the passengers on the train and had the nerve to try to defend himself in court. Uh, what's the adage say? He who defends himself in court has a fool for a client. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought about that most powerfully at this time because when he was cross-examining one of the witnesses, the witness was on the stand and he's trying to cross-examine the witness, this alleged criminal who's defending himself. And, and he's defending himself and he's saying, ma'am, can you identify the culprit? And, he, and she says, yes, I can. It was you. Witness testimony gives the story better. And so they have this story of transfiguration, and, 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 and they have the witnesses there to prove that it happened. And while we're here, I, I just want to take a bit of a pause since we're talking about cleverly devised fables and talking about witnesses. I'm running into a bunch of so-called Bible scholars that want to talk about all the books that were taken out of the Bible. Taken out of the Bible implies that they were put in the Bible to begin with. The Bible is not a book. The Bible is a library. It's written by a bunch of different people over time. There are people who were inspired by God and passed these stories down through tradition, orally, until more people got literate. The Bible did not pop on the scene in 1611 when King James authored all, got all those people in power to write it in English language. That's just when it was translated to English because before then, most learned people did not read their books in English. They were in Latin. And so you have all these different translations. But back to these books that were taken out of the Bible, they weren't really taken out of the Bible. Most of them never made it in the first place. Uh, what we had were letters. If somebody was going to read Corinthians, there was a scroll by itself. If somebody was going to read Isaiah, there was a scroll by itself. It wasn't until later that somebody decided to combine them all and they stuck on these 66 books because they tell a story. Uh, the story is that the Messiah is coming. That's all the Old Testament. Here are the prophecies of the Messiah coming. And let me show you some of the things his bloodline has done. Let me show you about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let me tell you about Joseph. Let me tell you about David. Let me tell you about all these people to work down the line. Let me show you some of the prophets that are predicting him to come. And then you have the gospel the Matthew, the Mark, the Luke, and the John that have what he did. And then you have Acts, which is about the history of the church. And then you have all the Pauls from letter, all the letters from Paul, excuse me, that tell you how you are supposed to act as a church. And then Revelation lets you know that he's coming back again. So the main reason that a lot of these books weren't put in with the 66 is because they don't contribute to that narrative. That doesn't make them any less important. They just don't contribute to that narrative. And they're not hidden. They're not taken out. You can go to any Christian bookstore you like and buy a Bible with an apocrypha in it. They're not hidden. I just don't carry them. I have several, but I don't carry them around because they're a little heavy. But uh, they're not hidden. There's no conspiracy to keep people in the dark about what was going on. Second reason a lot of these books are taken out 
when they really weren't ever put in in the first place is if I'm going to put something together, if I'm going to write a report about something, if I'm going to compile some information and I want to write a, I want to collect all the books I can, I can go with a book that was written 40 years after the event by somebody who saw it, somebody who walked and talked by there, or I can put a book that was written 300 years after the event by somebody who had nothing to do with it but heard it from somebody who heard it from somebody who heard it from somebody and wrote it down. Now, if I'm going to put a book together, if I'm going to put a collection of books together, which book would I choose? Hmm. The one written by the first-hand witnesses between 40 and, and 70 years afterwards or the ones written three to 400 years later by somebody who wasn't nowhere near it, wasn't even in the same vicinity, hundreds of miles away, hundreds of years later. So it's not a conspiracy. If you want to read those out there, you can read them all you want. You can read them to your heart's content. Just understand the context of what they come in. Those are cleverly devised fables. So three to four hundred. So you have the gospel according to Mark, which is the oldest. Uh, Mark straight to the point. Mark is, is, is short and brief with his words, but that's because John Mark walked around with Peter. And Peter was a little short and brief with his words. And then you have the gospel according to Matthew and the gospel according to Luke. Those were written about 20 to 30 years later. The same person that wrote Luke wrote Acts. Those were written, give or take, about 60 to 70 years afterwards. And they have their own firsthand accounts, but then they also have some extra stuff that they put in that others didn't. The only reason Matthew is first in the New Testament, even though it's younger than Mark, is because Matthew is more favorable to the church. And those who decided, if you read the gospel according to Mark 2, he gets a, Jesus gets a little angry with the disciples when they don't get what he's saying. Matthew's a little more lenient about what they say. And then you have the gospel according to John, which was written, some people say, about 100 to 150 years after the, the events of Christ. I don't really think that myself because there are scholars like me who say that it's got to be less than 70 years old because in 70 AD, the Jew, the Jew Jerusalem, the whole city got ransacked by the Roman government, torn apart, temples destroyed, everything ransacked, and so nobody wrote about that. And so because nobody wrote about that, how can you write about the almost annihilation of your entire culture and not put that in a book if it came afterwards? So there are people that argue that John is aboard that. But then you have the letters which are actually older than the Gospels. So you have Paul talking about Christ died for your sins long before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John did it, or at least writing it down. That's why those are in the Bible, not some copy that came from Egypt that's not even completely uh, 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 got words missing from it and people are trying to infer things because those words are missing like Jesus was married to Mary and had a child 300 years after the fact those are cleverly devised fables and so when he's here talking about it the second reason I can't really get on cleverly devised fables is the people who were out here preaching this stuff this Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead and is the new coming Messiah. That wasn't no good life. Mm -hmm. They wasn't building these nice buildings. You couldn't have built a faith united Methodist church if you was preaching the gospel back then. Preaching Amen. the gospel back then got you killed. Why would I make up a lie for something that could get me crucified upside yeah. down? Yeah. Uh -huh. 
Why would I make up a lie for something that could get me dipped in boiling oil? Why could I make something up that would get me having to throw hands with a lion in a Colosseum? These is what happened to some of our, our, our early church fathers. They went to preach the gospel and got killed, crucified upside down, buried in, buried in I mean, dropped in boiling oil, persecuted. People ran into these church services they were having at their house and started killing them. Why would I make up a story that would cause me death? Why would I make up a story that could cause me a life in prison? Paul wrote a lot of his letters from jail. People weren't having that. People beat him up and threw him in jail time and time again. Why would I make up a lie for that? Furthermore, we look at the cross and, 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 and the resurrection. We look at the tomb. The tomb was marked with the Roman seal. So anybody that would have rolled the stone away would have broken the Roman seal. That's dangerous because back in those days, whoever broke the Roman seal got themselves broken. So there, here I am to perpetuate a lie. I can get all my people killed. I can get my house ran into. I can get dipped in oil. I can have to fight lions in a coliseum for entertainment purposes for somebody else. That's a whole lot to go through for a lie. That's a whole lot to go through. Now, if I knew some, I could get me some sort of mega church and some sort of private jet and some nice tailored suits. Yeah, okay, then I might peddle a lie or two, but if I'm going to get beat up, if I'm going to get broken, if I'm going to have my house subject to raids, why would I continue to do that? Why would I continue to do that and pass that on to other people to do it? Furthermore, if I saw the next person doing it for a lie, I don't know. You know what? I don't want what you got. Especially if it ain't true. I don't, I don't want one. But the, the, that's what Peter is trying to say when he says these are not cleverly devised fables. Life was rough for those who followed the way in the beginning. And it was rough for the next 300 years. Not until Constantine made it, made it legal to be a Christian, but prior to that, you wanted to believe in Jesus, you had to prepare to die. That's why he would say in, 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 second, uh, in the Peter, do not consider it strange to be going through these fiery trials, because this is what was happening. That's why Timothy was told to endure hardness as a good soldier for Jesus Christ. This prosperity and, and all of that that was going on that, that, that is perpetuated now was not happening then. So why go through all of that for a lie? Uh, yes, he says, and that Christ was coming in power and we received honor and glory and the voice came and the, the mount of transfiguration, the light that shines in dark places. Uh, where he says we ourselves heard his voice from him and came from the mountain and we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it. You will do well to pay attention to it. You will do well to pay attention to it. The, 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 the people go on, the, 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 there were several arguments about it. One was that it didn't happen. Uh, there was another argument going on at the time, and that other argument that was going on at the time was, we don't need you to tell us about it. We can interpret it for ourselves.
verse 19 marks a shift because the author is still here in 2 Peter arguing about the event, but he's moving on to, to provide further proof. Uh, he's providing that the prophetic literature is out there and that there are those people who are saying that that word is not trustworthy and that they should be able to interpret it for themselves. Uh, now, I make fun of going to the cemetery seminary all the time. <laughs> but it still has its benefits. Yeah. Uh-huh. And everybody can't go to cemetery, seminary. seminary. <laughs> so if you can't go to seminary, you still need to sit under somebody and get some training. Amen. You can't just do like my grandma says, turn your collar around backwards and say you've been called to preach. Uh, We believe in the priesthood of all believers, meaning that anybody can talk about Jesus. But if you're going to claim the authority to interpret the scripture, you need a little bit more than that. Amen. Help me out, Paul. Brethren, it is my heart's desire and prayer for God to Israel that they be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God and not according to the knowledge for being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for the righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is the law. The man that does these things shall live by them. But righteousness of faith speaks this way. Do not say in your heart who shall ascend to heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For uh, with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is over the rich who call upon him. Or whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It goes on further to say, how shall they call on him who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how should they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring tithes and good things. But they have all, not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, the Lord who has, believed our, who has believed our report. So then faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. That ain't me. That's all Romans 10. Got a problem with it, take it up with Paul. Now, I'm not saying that nobody else who doesn't preach can't pray or can't say a good word or can't teach everything. But these people that Peter was arguing with were saying that we don't need the apostles and prophets. We should be able to interpret it ourselves. How are you going to interpret something that God gave directly to somebody else? How are you going to tell somebody who was there? How are you going to tell these people who were right there walking and talking with Jesus what Jesus said and did? How are you going to tell them that they're wrong? The inspired word of God. And so into the text, uh, Peter is writing to Christians that have their doubts, whether about this resurrected Jesus that they've pinned their hope on was special, whether or not he had staying power. 
whether or not what he did was going to last, whether this was something that was a moment in time or something that was there for the ages. And, and as time passed from Christ's resurrection, resurrection and ascension into heaven, the persecution upon these people intensified. But it seemed like the harder they got beat, the happier they were about it. It seemed like the more they got persecuted, the more people got around. You, they say you can fool all of the people some of the time. And that you can fool some of the people all of the time. But you can't fool all of the people all of the time. And so you have this story about this man from Galilee, born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified dead and buried, wore a crown of thorns, stepped out of eternity and put on human flesh, walked with us, talked with us, ate with us, slept with us, got mad, got hungry, healed the sick, raised the dead, opened up the blinded eyes. Healed the woman with the issue of blood. Got Jairus' daughter to raise up from the dead. You have all of these things going on. If it was a lie, you'd have been able to beat that out of somebody. I wasn't one to get many spankings growing up. I was a good child. I would see what was going on with my sister... And I would say, you know what? I don't want none of that. But whenever the truth needed to come out, if I was telling something or providing some alternative facts, you put enough heat on me. The truth is going to come out. You put enough heat on anybody. The truth is going to come out. But the fact that this man that was born of Galilee came from heaven. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And you go on down to the 14th verse and it says that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. No matter how much heat you put on that, it lasted year after year after year. Ah, the Bible says that he was crucified for our sins. No matter how much heat you put on that, it still lasted thousands and thousands of years later. No matter how much heat you put on the resurrection, it lasted. Because we are still talking about it today. This is not a fairy tale. This is a God who worked miracles. This is a God who speaks and worlds were formed. This is a God who died for all of our sins. And that's not where the story ends. Uh, he, he rose from the dead three days later. And that's still not where the story ends. He's coming back again. Are you going to be ready for him? I want to be ready for him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.